Today's On Shuffle episode is brought to you by Belvedere Vodka. Produced in one of the world's longest-running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka. Crafted by a collective of master distillers, Belvedere Vodka is made with non-GMO Polish rye, pure water, and no, zero, zip, zilch additives. Recognized for quality, Belvedere Vodka was named the ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year in 2015, 2016, and 2017. Thus, we are very excited to have Belvedere Vodka as a sponsor of On Shuffle. Enjoy a delicious cocktail with Belvedere Vodka today and remember to always drink responsibly. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the first inaugural episode of On Shuffle. I'm Micah Peters, staff writer at The Ringer. Great website. And today, we're going to talk about Post Malone. There is zero chance that you have not heard a Post Malone song today, probably before you press play on this podcast. We're going to talk about why such a thing. I'm also going to have a colleague on to call me a hater directly to my face. In addition, we're going to discuss Spotify, who's been yanking problematic artists from their curated playlists. We're going to discuss a little bit what the fallout from that might be. Let's get to it. Okay, what you just heard and have probably heard a lot of times before is the song Rockstar by an artist who really needs no introduction, but my producers are going to make me do one anyway. So Post Malone is a point of contention for people that listen to music and talk about it, and that's mainly because he makes a habit of demeaning the genre that brings him continued success. Just this November, he said, if you're looking for lyrics, if you're looking to cry, if you're looking to think about life, don't listen to hip hop. Now, he did also say there's great hip hop songs where they talk about life and they spit that real shit. But right now, there's not a lot of people talking about shit. And I submit that, you know, if you say that, you're not really looking very hard. But regardless... Post Malone's debut album, Stoney, did a billion streams, and his sophomore album, Beer Bongs and Bentleys, has been the number one album for two weeks straight. That leaves all kinds of questions like, how is he so dominant? Why is his music everywhere? And does it actually matter if you don't like Post Malone? And here to help me answer some of those questions is East Coast Bureau Chief and Post Malone Stan, Donnie Kwok. Yo, what up, Micah? Please call me by my proper title, Korean Iverson. <laughs> so, in spite of all... Post Malone is eaten. That he is. Why don't you give me some of the numbers? I know you have them written down over there. Yep, and these numbers don't lie. His second album, Beer Bongs and Bentley, sold 461,000 units or album unit equivalents in its first week. That's the best of 2018. 431 million streams for Beer Bongs and Bentleys in its first week. So yeah, he's dominating the charts, both Billboard and streaming. And it couldn't happen to a more talented guy. <sighs> and so why? Why, you ask? Yes, please enlighten me. I would say first and foremost, and it's something that even his most ardent haters couldn't deny, is that Post has a unique knack for melody and for making songs that fit into kind of the hip hop soundscape, I guess, making hip hop songs that aren't really hip hop. And the songs are catchy as fuck. I mean, it's really hard to deny. He 
definitely has a way of making hooks and in, in certain turns of phrase that kind of glom onto your brain, even though you're not entirely sure what they mean or if they have meaning at all. Right. And that's basically describes the best pop music of any era. I mean, that's what pop music is designed to do. Seep into your brain and stay there and have you phantom melodies in your head, even when you're not listening to it. So it's successful in that in that realm. Mm-hmm. So Post Malone, obviously, his first song was White Iverson in 2015, mm-hmm. which is actually, to my knowledge, the only song, at least in the title, explicitly references his skin color or his race. So right off the bat, it's kind of like an overt acknowledgement that he's a white person. White Iverson, when I started balling, I was young. You gon' think about me when I'm gone. And then since then, as you kind of started to talk about, he's... A little bit said some questionable things in the media. There was a, the N-word vine from when he was a teenager. The stick that people use to beat Post Malone is never about his music. It's only about some of the things he said or the way he, you know, his image. There's nothing terribly interesting about his music, though. Let's not let's not pretend that there is. I mean, like at the crux of it, it's just a white person making music that sounds like other things that would then make it pal- palatable to larger white audiences. So you can't separate the white person from the from the music. It's not possible. It's not a it's not a possible thing. But it, the thing is that I'm not worried about Post Malone existing because rappers like excuse me, musicians as he likes to be called, he just makes music. Yeah. <laughs> are going to exist regardless. It's not something that So you're just mad that he's popular? What I'm saying is that the music is boring. That's which is a totally different thing. Like who's making Post Malone music? At Post Malone's best, he is making a bad version of stuff that's already out there. It, it's the same sort of sing rapping style. Pick anyone that has done it better. I, I can already. pick a lot of inferior artists. I mean, we could talk about someone like Travis Scott, maybe, who wishes he had Post Malone's <laughs> career, much less his talent. But is there an artist out now making music that you think merits the attention that Post is getting? Mares, the attention that Post is getting is a little loaded, but if we're talking about an analog or somebody that would be making like an R&B kind of sing trappy album that, you know, could just as easily up and put out a country EP, I think we'd say Ty Dolla Sign. Yeah, yeah. They want the name and the lights. Wanna be on your flat They want to sign autographs. All the important things. Everybody wants to be famous. In the sense that they are both kind of sing-songy, melodic singers that perform over hip-hop beats. Or very good at constructing melody. Yeah, and Todd Dallasan is not invisible or struggling. I mean, he's guest-starred on basically every notable person's album. He's guest-starred on Post Malone's album, actually. Yeah, and so maybe the problem with Ty Dollar Sign or the reason he isn't loading up the Spotify charts is he has yet to put out as cohesive or as solid a project, you know, as a, as a proper album. I mean, like, have you listened to Beach House 3? Beach House 3, why would you say, if you call Post Malone's music overall boring, why is Beach House 3 not boring? Mainly the attention to detail on the project. And... There are plenty of other people that I think are making more interesting music, obviously. And while I understand that that doesn't really matter to the success of one thing or the other, I think that it is an amalgamation of everything that is popular with all of the interesting parts, like, excised from it. Yeah, it's, it's, pop, it's pop music formula. I mean, the alchemy of any pop hit is basically a superior melody and a more memorable hook. This is the, re- this is the real issue that you deny is that Post is a blissfully unwoke artist in an era that demands 
complete wokeness, particularly from anyone that's interloping into another culture. And, and Post doesn't give a fuck about it. And I, I agree, it's hurt his popularity in some circles. Where we are agreeing is that no amount of my belly aching about the dumb things he says is going to change the amount of success he's having. Right. No amount of my belly aching about the music being boring is going to change the amount of success he's having. What I'm mm -hmm. saying is that there are always going to be Post Malone's. I'm just waiting for the next one that does it better because this one is kind of boring. That's fair. I mean, and that's your opinion. I think the thing that's interesting to me or kind of confounding is that if you shake a tree on like media Twitter, there's nobody that claims they like Post Malone. It's, it's only the most begrudging of praise. You actually wrote an article about this, Michael, on The Ringer last year. And I quote you here. You were describing Post. You said, tough to stay mad at, cursorily self-aware uh -huh. and white. He can go anywhere, be anyone, do anything. And that I can see he is riding off of white privilege a little bit. That's obvious. And I can see how you could be resentful or one could be resentful that an artist that looks and acts like him is able to skip around formats and genres. And I'm going to pick up a guitar and do this and do that and get played on every radio station there is. That's fair. But the music itself is undeniably good as pop music and boring or not boring. Clearly, it's not boring to the 431 million people who stream it. <laughs> big sigh. Yeah, I mean, like, big sigh because you seem to be positioning the success of the music as making it somewhat beyond critical reproach. And that's just kind of like not the case in general. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many people have streamed it. There are elements about it that are lazily put together. There are songs on there that I think are so expertly constructed. Like the Sway Lee song, the one with Sway Lee on mm -hmm. it. I mean, that's like a beautiful pop record. way it's constructed, you know, the, the verses, the back and forth, the bridge, everything. It's like a, a delectable piece of pop candy dipped in codeine. <laughs> dipped in codeine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, his stranglehold on the charts is, he's only 22 years old, mind you. Sure. So, I mean, that also speaks to all of his misbehavior uh, in, the, in the last few years. But where do you see him going from here, like in the next few years? People often criticize him for dissing himself from hip hop. This record is basically a hip-hop record in terms of beats. Uh, do you think he's going to do a Kid Rock thing and just go full right country type of vibe? Or is he going to milk this cow until it's empty? I think that it's possible that he has like the thing about where he, where he turns to where he just becomes his next stage of evolution as bro country or whatever. But <laughs> I mean, it's also possible that he just keeps putting out a, like different and more marginal iterations of, of this Beer Boggs and Bentley's album. It doesn't really matter what he does. If he changes his sound to make a country album, it will inevitably be less successful than another Beer Boggs and Bentley's type album. But see, even even in all the disdain you have for Post or, or how much you call his music boring, you still admit that among the 18 songs on that album, there are good pop songs that are merit, you know, their placement on the chart or their popularity. That explain it, yes. But real quick, back to post-whiteness again, because I was listening to another podcast, I think it was Karamonica, and he was talking about the way white people traditionally have gotten into rap. 
And it was a, one of two ways, which is either the black cosine, which is like Dr. Dre and Eminem, mm-hmm. or the artist that kind of performatively has like a unabashed reverence for hip hop history, you know, like Action Bronson or Logic even, I guess he's half white, but, and Post took neither of those routes. And that I think is interesting. He kind of just came and, I mean, and that's, I mean, I think the larger picture of that is white artists no longer have to go one of those two routes. And and that's something that people are grappling with. Yeah. I mean, like, I think it's down to timing. Post Malone wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago. Yeah. But I mean, I would also say we were talking about it, like the Billboard charts and obviously the Spotify streaming charts, there's no staying power on there. So while he's dominating now, like two weeks ago, J. Cole was dominating it. And, and yeah. J. Cole, you would say, is a substantive artist, right? I mean, he's also, you probably say boring, but, you know, he was not maybe setting records, but he was all over the top 50, you know? And Post came out and he knocked him down. And then whoever comes out in two weeks is going to knock him down. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. We're, we're in a plane that's about to crash. You have your own parachute and there's one left. And it's Post, g Easy, Lil Dicky, and Logic. Who gets, par- <laughs> who gets the parachute? I'm going to give it to the pilot. <laughs> the pilot has one, too. You got to give it to one of the four. You're giving it to Posty, right? Fine, fine, fine. Post can have the parachute. There you have it. Micah loves Post Malone. I knew it. Wow. Thank you for joining me. I guess we will find something else to argue about next time. <laughs> Peace. Last Thursday, Spotify announced that they will be removing R. Kelly and XXXTentacion from their curated playlist as part of their new hate content and hateful conduct policy. Here's what Spotify said about the policy in a statement. When an artist or creator does something that is especially harmful or hateful, it may affect the ways we work with or support that artist or creator. But what does especially harmful or hateful even mean? Is this a righteous step forward or a giant can of worms? Here to help answer those questions is Gizmodo Media Group staff writer and is it fair to say Spotify watchdog, David Turner. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah. Watchdog. I think that's a pretty good title. <laughs> okay. Well, David, let's start with this. How does Spotify removing an artist's music from its playlist, like as an editorial decision, sit with you? Personally, I found it, I find that fine because Spotify over the last year has gotten a lot of criticism for their inclusion of artists like Exercise and Tashion, Famous Dex, Young, Bo- um, Young Boy Never Broke Again, who have all allegations of like domestic violence or sexual assault. So I find that them exerting that editorial control to be like a pretty good use of their platform. I think the reason that this ended up causing so much controversy within like the music industry was just that it was announced and there were only a couple artists that were removed and people immediately were like, what about so-and-so? What about this person? What about this person? And it just sort of seemingly opened, as you said, a can of worms of like how broad reaching could this editorial impact end up being? Right, right, right. Because one of the first responses was immediately in the wake of the announcement that XXXTentacion's mm-hmm. team responded to Spotify saying, that they didn't have a comment, but just a question about, you know, like, what about all of these different people like Gene Simmons, everyone from Gene Simmons to Miguel, basically. Yeah. Uh, 
And it's just kind of like this, the slope is very slippery. But I wanted to ask, how did we end up here? Like, how did Spotify decide that they were going to start policing content in this way? So it was reported in Billboard last week that Spotify internally, along with Apple Music, and I and I would assume the other streaming services have been doing have been sort of making these actions and judgment calls private privately without ever making it public. Mm-hmm. I think what ended up driving this recent change was the mute R. Kelly hashtag campaign that is once again trying to sort of bring light of trying to bring more attention to all of the accusations and charges that have come across R. Kelly the last almost three decades we're getting we're getting to. So I think that might have been maybe the final push that got Spotify to be like, hey, maybe we should sort of announce that we've been working on this this idea of this policy and trying to like make it more overt. It just raises a lot of sort of potential ethical concerns of who, who is going to be removed from playlists, how long are they going to be removed from playlists, what is sort of the impetus for one's expulsion from playlists? Mm-hmm. Because one that was slightly underreported was that Billboard said that Louis C.K. was removed from comedy playlists. And not to give a pass what Louis C.K. was was accused of in report in the New York Times last year, but what Louis C.K. was reported to have done compared to R. Kelly is two really different things. And they seemingly are facing the same punishment from Spotify. Right. So and- then it becomes a question of like, how bad is bad and... Exactly. Again, it's it's that especially harmful thing. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, and they've so far not really clarified that. I've been, as a watchdog, I would say like the last week, I've just been trying to contact as many different industry people as possible. And the overwhelming consensus seems to be that people did not know this was a thing that was happening. Even in, even in, I think it was the Times or, or, or Billboard who reported that Agassiz and Sashi on the team didn't even know that this was happening, despite the fact that in March, Spotify was trying to work with him to promote his like latest album. So it's sort of like hard to see like what side of the of the, like what side of the fence they're playing. If on one hand, two months ago they were promoting, they were trying to promote his album, and then two months later they just remove him from all editorial content. It's kind of, like I don't know what I'm supposed to take away from that as like a overall vision or policy of the company. Right. And just as recently as say last year, they were working with R. Kelly. But also another question, how does this actually affect the the artists that have their music removed from the playlist? Oh, so I think this is something that I actually have I've been wanting to look more into, but I was going to give it a little bit more time to see like how it actually affected the numbers. Mm-hmm. But I would say, so like for Spotify playlists, for certain artists, Spotify playlists are a huge driving factor of streams. For some, it can be like 50% of your overall streaming comes from their playlist, the ones that they generate and, and the ones that are like sort of algorithmically created. So for the, some artists, this could be a really big like nosedive of how much money you're receiving and like, Streaming already doesn't pay out a lot. Especially for, for an artist like XXXTentacio, which I mean, the the curated playlists on Spotify were a large driver for his uh, commercial success. Yeah, so like that's sort of the thing that like could vary a lot. R. Kelly, who's been in the music industry since the late 80s, early 90s, that I don't know how much a playlist was really like adding to his pockets. I just truly do not. I would, I would imagine not that much. But for other artists, it would be very, very important. Spotify is the home of mo- a lot of music consumption right now. Like, especially in America, that there are, like, I guess, like probably like tens of millions of people that listen to Spotify every day. In, in America, you're sort of like, 
wait, if you're exerting this kind of editorial control, like, what is the recourse if I, if, if an artist disagrees with something, if something's like up for public debate? It's just like, it's just sort of hard to sort of get a sense of like how big this could be and how much it affects artists. And I think that's why like some artists are probably going to be like, well, now going forward, it's sort of like, I'm just not going to even, like, there might be an increased sense of like, if there is any potential issue of an artist mm-hmm. that might just shut down people wanting to work with them. Like, if Chris Brown were removed from playlists, it'd be like, well, Chris Brown is still featured on so many songs every year, but I'm sure regulators would be like, well, we can't work with Chris Brown at all because he's just going to essentially taint and poison our entire catalog. Mm. We can't risk that. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's complicated because Spotify is both a promoter and a distributor. Um, per the New York Times, uh, Spotify basically deputized Jonathan Prince the services vice president of content and marketing policy. And he's the one that's going to be having to make these calls together with uh, GLAD, the Anti-Defamation League, and the Southern Poverty Law Center. How glad are you that you're not Jonathan Prince? I mean, I'm very glad because I just could not imagine the kind of emails he must be receiving. Because I think a note that was a, re- a really interesting point that was made and one of Billboard's many stories about this last week, because Billboard went really hard in covering this, mm-hmm. was because one anonymous source said to them, like, what about record executives? Like, what about people who are not artists or, like, songwriters or people who are in the music industry and affected a song, but are those, like, so, like, a good example would be, like, Charlie Walk, who was the former president of Republic, and he had a number of allegations come out against him, he and, he and Republic step, like, like mutually parted ways earlier this year. And Republic has a couple artists you might have heard of. The Weeknd, mm-hmm. Post Malone, mm-hmm. Ariana Grande, Drake. And if all of a sudden Spotify uses new policy to be like, we're just going to no longer have any Republic artists on our playlist, that would affect a lot of people from the top all the way down down, down the roster and all just sorts of people that are in that system. Mm-hmm. And then generally going forward for this particular issue, I think it'll just be whenever there's another high-profile case against an artist, maybe even a songwriter or an executive, and they continue to show up on Spotify playlists, there will be a lot louder of an outcry to be like, you just announced this policy. Mm -hmm. You just announced your work with all these groups that you just previously mentioned. Like, when is the change going to happen? And that will be sort of interesting to see, like, how much public pressure it takes for them to remove artists. And then, like, if even the inverse happens. Like, how much public pressure does it take someone to put artists back on playlists? Because maybe someone is accused of something and it ends up being dropped. Turns out it was not true. Like, what ends up sort of happening in those kind of spaces mm. are really, really big unknowns. And I think it's just going to end up being a really messy case by case basis. And that's not going to be particularly fun for Jonathan, but I guess that's the job he signed up for when they decide to do this. Hmm. There you have it from David Turner. What Spotify has done is just short of completely unmanageable. David, thanks again for joining me. If listeners want to find your work, where would you send them? Uh, the best way to sort of find my work would be just to, I guess, just do a quick Google search of David Turner slash Kinja. You can just find all my work at Gizmodo Media Group there. And if you're really, really interested in music streaming, I do a newsletter that is about music streaming that comes out every week. In that, just type in David Turner, Penny Fractions, or Penny Fractions Tiny Letter, and you can find it online. There you go. Subscribe to David's Tiny Letter. Thank you again. Yeah, of course, man. Thank you. 
guys, thanks so much for listening. Special thanks to David Turner and Donnie Quant for stopping by. Shout out my producers, Agia Chagre and Zach Mack. Don't forget to check out our playlist that we will be updating every week with songs we're listening to. A link to that will be in the description. Also, please rate and subscribe if you like the show. We'd really appreciate it. We'll be back next Tuesday. Peace, peace. Thank you.